Come on, one more clap. Come on. Thank you, Lord, for your victory in all of life. We stand in your resurrection. We stand in your victory today with gratitude. And Lord, we ask with that gratitude in this right environment, Lord, would you sow your word in our hearts, God? Would you get me out of the way? Speak everything that's in your heart that we might be set free, resurrected, renewed, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Woo, it's good to have James Pickens in the house today. Man, I just, that was awesome. Man, we're so blessed, so blessed. And uh, hey, family, I just want to encourage you this week, as we've already said, to, as Jason just said, that simple phrase, come to the table. That's kind of our uh, mantra this week, come to his table. You got this little uh, piece of info about Sunday services, about outreach that we're doing on Saturday. We got Thursday night. I mean, man, it is Easter week. And uh, for most of you in the house, you guys are familiar with Easter week and you're already excited about that. But for a lot of people around the world, they still don't know what it means. They know that something's going on. They know uh, they've heard the word Easter. They think it has something to do with Christianity and Jesus. But we might be surprised at how many people don't know exactly what all it means. In 2013, I was flying back from the West Coast on Easter week, and I got in conversation with the guy. We were on the two-seat side, which is he and I. And um, he asked, you know, uh, I asked him, where are you going? What are you doing, et cetera? And I said, hey, I'm really excited about getting back because it's Easter weekend. And he said, great, man. I said, well, has anybody ever talked to you about Easter and what all that means? He said, yeah, my wife's kind of into that. It's something to do with Jesus. And, uh, and I said, well, do you really understand what it's all about? And he said, no, I, I'm not really sure about all that. And I said, well, this is perfect because you're sitting next to me. So, uh, <laughs> so I pull out these little things I carry around, the little steps to peace with God track. And if you get encouraged by this story, you can pick some up on the way out and help somebody else find Jesus. And literally, we just went through each page of this. God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, but there's a problem. You're a sinner that's separated from you got from God. We have a holy God, and we have man who sins, but the bridge is Jesus Christ. He came, lived, died, rose again, so that you might have a way to the Father, the one that you were created for. At the end of our simple presentation of literally just talking through the booklet side by side with this guy, I said, well, what do you want to do, man? Do you want to come to Jesus? He said, I do. And so there at about 35,000 feet, we prayed for him to receive Jesus. It was very meaningful, very heartfelt. I even saw a tear or two from this big, tough guy. And, um, and then, of course, we had a dialogue for the rest of the time just about what does that mean to walk with Jesus? And at the end of the time, he said, man, my wife's not going to believe it. She's not going to believe it. She's, she's not going to believe it. And I said, all right, man, would you tell her that, uh, what, you know, about our conversation? You ask her, where are we going this Sunday uh, to be a part of this celebration of new life? And um, so when we separated at DFW, I see him on the phone, and he's talking excitedly to his wife. He gives me the thumbs up. I said, all right, happy Easter. Come on. So I don't know where you or your family or your friends are this morning, uh, but if you are uh, 
unclear about what it means to know Jesus, unclear what it means to come to the table of God, then today is the day of salvation. Uh, Many of us uh, in this room, of course, were familiar with the gospel message. We may have responded to it at one time, but we find ourselves far from God right now. Well, the beautiful thing about the cross is there is no distance between God and man because Jesus has paid the price to bring us back to the table over and over and over again. And so welcome back and come on back and join us. Be a part of what God's doing. And for the majority of us here, the table for us is a familiar table. But you know, sometimes we take family for granted when things get too familiar. And sometimes we take Jesus for granted when things become too familiar. Do you know, I need Easter week. I need Holy Week. I need every bit of the journey to renew my heart and renew my mind. I'm so looking forward to the Stations of the Cross for every day. I try to do that in my mind mentally, but I can't wait to be with Laura and friends and family and literally walk through the Stations to not just remember what was, but to renew the present of what is. And that is a God of hope, a God of help, a God of power, a God of healing, and a God of restoration. So, hey, here we go. So, as I go through this morning, we're going to talk about the triumphal entry, a very familiar passage of Palm Sunday. But there's three things we're going to do, and everybody, you're going to help me. Everybody say context. Context. Everybody say content. Content. And the third piece is call out. All right, we got context. Content. And we're going to call out. All right, the context. The context, before we talk about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, I want to back it up. And remember, the Bible is one big story and many, many M-I-N-I stories. And sometimes we see the general flow. In Matthew uh, chapter 20, I want to start in verse 17. Jesus is with his disciples. It says this, and Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem. This is about to happen. He's coming in for Easter week or he's about to head that direction. He took the 12 disciples aside by themselves, and on the way, he said to them, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man we delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him, and on the third day he will be raised up. Okay, we're always wanting to know Jesus. We want to know the future. He pulls his disciples aside and he said, guys, here's what's going to happen. So it's ironic what happens next. Verse 20, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making requests of him. And uh, And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit one at the right and one at your left. So all of a sudden, Jesus is telling them about the future. He's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. And then they begin to argue about who's the greatest. Anybody ever gotten distracted? Jesus, wow, I had incredible quiet time. And then all of a sudden, I started worrying about the finances, started worrying about this, started worrying about that. And all of a sudden, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus just kind of passed right by. They start talking about who is the greatest when Jesus is telling them what is about to happen, the most important event in world history. If there's a theme here, it's don't miss Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. Well, here's who didn't miss Jesus. After they have uh, that dialogue, we start in verse 
29 of Matthew 20. And it says, as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed them. Now, just by the way, they were walking from Jericho to Jerusalem. I did Google Maps this morning, found out it would take eight hours and 21 minutes uh, to get from Jericho to Jerusalem. So during that walk, I'm sure they had some powerful conversations heading to Jerusalem. So they are literally headed out of town. I'll pick it up in verse 30. And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd silently told them to be quiet. Isn't that crazy? People desperate, crying out to Jesus. And the crowd saying, hey, and these were the religious guys, hey, you need to pipe it down. The crowd told them to be quiet, but they could not, but they cried out all the more. I love that. <laughs> Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Woo. Let me get that again. What do you want uh, me to do for you? They said, Lord, we want our eyes to be open. Of course, they meant that literally, but also spiritually. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. So this is what leads into Jesus walking into the road to Jerusalem. He has told them what's about to happen. They're arguing with each other and missing the point altogether. But then Jesus uh, walks by some blind people and somehow they get it. There is a savior. There is a Messiah coming by. We need help. Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd are saying, hey, don't bother him and everything else. And he's saying, lo, I hear you. What do you need? And I want to open your eyes so that you can see not only literally with sight, but you can see me. The hungry get the revelation. The hungry get their eyes opened. Those who cry out unashamedly will find God. If you were hurting this morning as I was praying over our time this morning, if you're hurting this morning and you don't know which way's up, quit trying to figure it out. Cry out. Cry out. We get in our heads so much. If I could just think my way out of it, how's that working for you? My experience is trying to think my way out of things doesn't get me out of it, but crying out to Jesus at the very least gets me worshipful. At the very most, it allows a miracle to happen because I've given him the chance and I've cried out. All right, that's our context. Now let's get into some content. Chapter 21, next verse. When they had approached Jerusalem and come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus, there he is, the man, he sent his disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, the prophet Zechariah, by the way, 500 years earlier. This was to fulfill the prophecy spoken. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. Woo, that's pretty good right there. All right, so let's, let's go back here. The first thing they get are clear directions from Jesus. So they're about to do something very unique. They're about to walk into somebody's house and say, hey, we need your donkey. Jesus said you'd be waiting, and here we go. That takes a little bit of faith, right? 
I mean, the, the donkey was the, the laborer for the household. I mean, they're literally taking their provision uh, from this household. But Jesus said, hey, look, if you will trust me, then you will find not only that I'm faithful, but that I will fulfill all that I said. They trusted Jesus because they had seen him cleanse the leper. They had seen him raise the dead. They had seen him cast out demons. They had seen when there wasn't any food, him multiply food for 5,000 up to 15,000 people. They have seen him calm the storm when they thought they were gonna die. They had experienced Jesus so that when he said in this context, now go and do something that you're not gonna understand because it's going to prepare the way for what I have for you. Many times God will speak to us to do something that's outside the norm to set us free to get us on the path that he has for us. The disciples followed just as the Lord directed them and they did it immediately. I love that Jason was up here sharing uh, of what God's currently doing, uh, but many of you guys know Jason and Monica's story, but his wife, Monica, now his wife, when they were separated right before Jason was about to be locked up in prison, uh, Monica was at HEB over here on Wooded Acres, and she uh, walked, walked in, which, and her son, or their son, Shay, had been asking, can we go to church, Mom, for my 10th birthday? If you don't think God sovereignly is moving in the Ramos family, I don't know what else to do. He picked the 10-year-old to get the thing started, and he had wanted a Bible, and he had wanted to go to church. And she's waffling, right, Monica? You're waffling a little bit about that idea. And two college students felt the Holy Spirit told them to go to HEB and to pray for people. They see Monica in the aisle. They go up to her, and they said, this may sound weird or awkward, but we want to know how we can pray for you. And I think Monica tells the story. She said, no, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. You know, when anybody ever tells me that, when I say, can I pray for you? They say, I'm good. I'm saying, good. Will you pray for me then? Because I'm not good. I got, I got plenty of stuff. To, I need some help. Really, just turn the tables on instead of like, oh, no, I tried, but it didn't work. Just ask them to pray for you then. If they, if they got it all together, we're good. I need help. So... Monica kind of brushed them off, and finally they asked her a few more questions. She said, well, I need a job. She didn't talk about her depression, didn't talk about her husband or her, her living boyfriend that left her about to be locked up, drugs. She didn't talk about any other mess of her life. She said, I need a job. They said, all right, Lord Jesus, get her a job. She needs a job, Lord. Would you provide for Monica? Monica said, I walked out of HEB, and there's my old boss walking right up to me. And my old boss says, hey, Monica, I'd love to have you back. Do you want a job? Isn't that good? Yes, go God. So what if the two college students had not gone to HEB? What if they said, that's too awkward? Oh no, somebody, that sounds embarrassing. What if they wouldn't have gone? Now, God in his sovereignty would have found somebody to obey him to get to Monica, Jason, and the kids. I believe that over the, over the long play. But what if they had not gone and been a part, they would have missed out on what God was doing now. They're now a part of this testimony for the rest of their lives. Can I just say, fellow believer, fellow friend, God is speaking to everybody every day, and those who know him hear his voice. 
It could be obedience in your personal life. I need to let go of that. I need to walk this way instead of that way. I need to obey God's word instead of the world. There's all kinds of obediences that are making a way day by day. But let us be like the disciples who do it immediately. Whether it is awkward and other or whether it is a normal part of our lives, this way of obedience, this simple uh, acts of obedience make a way where there is no other way. Well, back to our little prophecy here. This, this, the, the, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle, Jesus, wow, almighty God, full of power, full of glory. We, we, we see him in his majesty is called gentle. Mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast, and the disciples went just as Jesus said. Again, I had mentioned earlier in passing, 500 years before, God had spoken to the prophet Zechariah that this was going to happen. So, so many times we feel like we're on an island caught in our world, and even as we sang that song, we feel alone. We feel that God doesn't see us. Nobody sees us. We don't, we don't feel that somebody understands us, right? How many times, Lord, nobody understands me. Can I just say, God understands you. He literally wove you together in your mother's womb. He literally, before time began, he saw you, allowed you to be created, birthed you miraculously, sustained you to this day. And if you can't see that through the scriptures, I mean, he, God is speaking to prophets 500 years, 700 years before to fulfill the coming of Jesus. This is not just a fairy tale story. This is built on substantive prophetic history that no man could put together in a miraculous way. Way. So if God speaking 500 years before and now it is happening live in real time, we should stand in awe of the living God. And we should say, surely then God has a plan for my life. <laughs> Very familiar passage with you, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And we have shared this scripture hundreds of times throughout the last 24 years of this church. But I, I just feel this morning, as we're, even as I'm saying it, you need to know, know that he knows the plans that he has for you, and they are for good and not for evil. If, the plan, if what's happening in your life is evil, that's not God leading you. Doesn't mean it's not challenging or there's suffering or challenging in this life, but I'm just saying God's plans are good and not for evil. And, and I want us to pause right now and just close your eyes. And Lord, we need to know by revelation, would you, as our physical eyes are closed, would you open our spiritual eyes? And would you open the eyes of our heart to believe, to believe God? And Lord, even in this moment, would you just drop that affirmation and or direction right now. We're just going to wait 60 seconds and say, God, would you let me know your plans are good for me? Would you let me know your plans for me?
And Lord, we do, we would pray again, fill us with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and understanding that we would have a walk worthy of you, perfectly pleasing you in every good work. Thank you, Lord, that your perfect love cast out all fear today. Thank you, Lord, that faith, hope, and love will abound. That faith, hope, and love is greater than our sin, greater than our fears, greater than our circumstances. Let your beauty and your heart be heard this morning. Amen. All right, let's go on with our content. We've established that Jesus is Lord, that this amazing day has been prophesied hundreds of years before. And it says he came into Jerusalem on a donkey. Many of you guys are familiar with what would happen in Roman times when a general would win a victory or or, uh, a a battle would have been won. They would have victory parades and they would come in on big white horses with all their regalia. Everybody would, you know, basically worship them, would throw down their garments, would, would do the palm branches, all that stuff. This isn't unique uh, a situation. This would happen for the victors, for the great men of uh, not of, of the of uh, Rome, not <laughs> men of God. These guys are men, ungodly men. Uh, the men of Rome that had won great victories. So when Jesus is coming in on a donkey, everybody's like, "What? What in the world? Why is Jesus? If he's the Messiah, if he is who people say he is, why is he coming in on?" A donkey. He's coming in humble so that everybody knows that they're invited in. He's not distant. He's not coming in on a horse, ruling and reigning over you, though he has that privilege and ability to do that. He's coming in low because everybody had a donkey. Every household had a donkey. This was normal life. And he comes in on a donkey to say again, I'm with you. You're not alone. I'm Emmanuel, God with you. I came as a baby in a manger, and now I'm coming uh, on a donkey for my victorious rule and reign so that you can know I'm here with you. I'm literally taking you by the hand and willing to carry you where you need to go. The humility of Jesus once again on display, and as he had said in Matthew 20 in the argument about who's the greatest, he said, you get it all wrong. I didn't come to be served, Jesus speaking of himself, but I came to serve. Jesus literally came to earth, not because any other reason that he might live a perfect life, die a perfect death, raise from the dead so that you might have life. And when we brush off or become too familiar with Jesus or too distracted, we literally minimize the incredible victory that he not only won on the cross, but the incredible way that he came to care for us. You're of the highest value. He came in on a donkey. Let's keep going. Verse 7, excuse me. The disciple, there we go. The crowds going ahead of him, those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. So here's what happened. They came in and they laid their coats on, on, uh, uh, on the donkey so that 
Jesus could ride in. Then the crowd spread their coats in the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees. This is where we get the palm branches and Palm Sunday. So what was happening? Literally, they're taking their garments, the, and their outer garment was the nicest thing they had. Of course, undergarments are just undergarments, but the outer garment was their, their, their call sign. It was their identity. It showed their class status. It was the best of what they had, and they throw the best of what they have out on the street that Jesus might walk out because they're not going to give a sacrifice of praise that cost them nothing. When we give Jesus the leftovers, that is not a sacrifice of praise. We, the, the, the admonishment of Paul in Romans 12, verse one, I beseech you by the mercies of God to present your body a living and holy sacrifice, which is your spiritual service of worship. We don't give him the leftovers, we give him the best. The first fruits of our life, the first fruits of our day, the, the, the substance of our uh, being, our whole life is worship. We honor him. So they literally threw their, their best down so that he might have a red carpet or a, a, a beautiful place um, to journey. And they began to cry out, cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And we hear that song, we've heard that in songs, we've heard it for years, but here's what Hosanna means. God save us now. It's not just a praise of God's majesty. It's a cry of the heart. It's the blind Barnabas. They're crying out, God save us now, save us now. Messiah, Messiah, you're the Messiah, save us now. We need help today. We throw off our outer garments because we need help today. My friends, we need help today. We need to cry out to God. We need to be crying out in our homes when we wake up. We need to be crying out for our kids. We need to be crying out for our city. We need to be crying out for our nation, not trying to figure it all out in our heads. If Jesus doesn't come to rule and reign, there will be rule and reigning chaos until we decide that he's gonna be king. This group, not even knowing what they were doing, began to cry out, save us now, Hosanna, save us now. And then he said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are the blessed one of God. This is literally a prophecy from David in the Psalms, in Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what they are saying is, not only do we need you to save us, but you can save us. Woo! You begin to declare the beauty and the bigness of God. Not only do we need you, but you can save us. Blessed is he or she, uh, not blessed, excuse me. Yeah, well, that would be uh, on us. I am fumbling today. <laughs> blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So let me just pause a minute and say, when they say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, just, I want to just briefly say again, who is the Lord? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to God. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. He is the exclusive, unique sacrifice once and for all, for all time. He is the Lord of all. And when we were singing, yours is the victory, yours is the victory. Listen, Jesus has done everything possible 
so that we literally can come to him and find peace. He is Lord of everything. So if I, again, just to beg you today, wherever there is chaos, unrest, fear, anxiety, questioning, ups and downs, marriage fractures, kid fight, whatever it is, bring Jesus in to be Lord, to rule and reign. We were talking a few weeks ago out of John 17 about the glory of God. And when we talk about what is God's glory, is God's brilliance, it is God's authority, it is God's manifestation in the face of Jesus, in the person of Jesus. And I had in my mind's eye, Lord and I walking through our house and saying, God, do you have authority here? Come have authority. In our finances, come have authority. In our marriage, come have authority. Honey, this is my commitment. We're gonna do this. Over each of our kids, what are our worries? What are our woes? What are our past? What is our pain? Jesus, come have authority again and rule and reign in everything because that's the wisest thing we can do. And then there will be appropriate, obedient responses. But so many times, we still think we have to be good enough to call in his rule and reign. You won't have any power to do good if he is not ruling and reigning. So start with the worship of God and the centrality of the Lord being ruling and reigning in your home and your heart. Then there will be power to obediently respond to him and to find the way forward. So who missed out? It says uh, in Luke, the Luke version of this story, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus said, I tell you. <laughs> I always gotta do Jesus, teacher, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. So who missed Jesus? The Pharisees. The Pharisees would start their thought process something like this. I know all this. Yes, there's going to be a Messiah, but you're not it. Yes, I, I know all things. I know the commandments. I know the laws. I know this. I know that. They had an arrogance about them that blinded them from seeing Jesus. It takes humility to see Jesus. When we saying, I know this. So my, my admonition is this Easter season, don't go into Holy Week thinking I know this. I've done communion before. I've done the Station of the Cross before. I've done an outreach before. I've been here. Don't, don't, don't act like you've been here before. Because here's the deal. Today is a unique day. If you're watching on that stream today, today is the day of salvation for you. If you're here and you're fear and you're broken today, I can tell you today God wants to take those broken and fractures and put them back together and make you whole. Today God has got a word for you. He's speaking through his word to you. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of hope and help. It's not a day like any other day. It's never happened before. Today had never happened before. April 2nd, 2023 has never happened before. It's not like business as usual. It's a today day of the rule and reign of God. Wake up. Don't be a Pharisee in this hour. Because again, if we don't cry out, he'll make sure that the rocks cry out. Jesus will find worshipers for himself. And Lord, may you not pass my house because we were not a worshiping Space. We go on to Luke 19, 41 and 44. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. In another passage, in, uh, in the Matthew passage, it says Jesus 
saw the, the Pharisees, after this dialogue with the Pharisees, he said, and he wept with them. He wept for them and he wept over them. And so what, I, what I'm trying to say here is this. Even if you are a Pharisee, he weeps over you just like he weeps over the adulteress. Because he understands the brokenness of man and he still has compassion on you. Some of you are saying to yourself, I've done the unpardonable sin. I'm, I've gone so far that there's no place of return. That's just, there's nothing in the Bible that's, that would uh, affirm that. There's a scripture or two that you could get obsessed with, but the context of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a God who has compassion, a God who keeps coming, and a God who keeps forgiving and keeps offering a fresh table of grace. This is the God of the Bible. And I would say that he is offering that today. So Jesus wept over the city, they, and he said, they will level the ground, children within you, they will not leave you as one stone and recognize uh, in, in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. It wasn't even their sin that would cause the devastation of Jerusalem ultimately. It was because they didn't recognize the day of their visitation. The way that, the way that I, I would say it another way to all of us is that we're in a unique season where Jesus is walking by extravagantly. He is extending his hands. I've talked about this Asbury revival, this student revival. And some people went and they said, oh, you know, it's just a very peaceful. It was, it was like an extended worship time of peace. <laughs> and I said, well, isn't that beautiful that God sees a traumatized generation and he sees the evangelical world and he extends his hands really wide and said, I'm going to offer you peace instead of trauma and I'm going to woo you in. The way I see it is what's happening right now is God is wooing anyone who would come to him while the waters are still calm and the waves are not that big. Because what's coming are bigger waves. Bigger waves of revival, but also bigger waves of consequential judgment for those who don't recognize Jesus now. And I wish I could tell you something different, but it's just not true biblically, and I definitely don't believe prayerfully with so many others from the body of Christ. This is a critical hour, you guys. This is not business as usual. Jesus is walking by, and he is offering himself to us. Matthew 21, verse 10, when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, and they said, who is this? <laughs> Isn't that the question Jesus asked the disciples? Who do you say that I am? The people of Jerusalem, the city was all stirred, and they said, who is this Jesus? I started um, my talk this morning with that guy that I was sitting on next to the plane, and I asked him, did he understand Easter? Did he understand who Jesus was? And all he needed was me simply to take this little booklet and just read it, literally. Uh, uh, and if, if I could just help you guys, when I share these stories, you think, man, he's such a bold evangelist. I am awkward. I am weak. When you read a little booklet, that's really awkward, by the way. I'm sitting here with this big construction worker guy and saying, our attempts to reach God. See this little picture here, the little man? Um, it, it, it's not as powerful as you think it is. Um, it's a very weak presentation uh, of the gospel. However, the gospel is the power of God into salvation. 
And no matter how weak it is shared, when it is shared, there is power released. Don't spend your time trying to perfect the message. House the testimony and share it. Hey, one last thing. Um, it probably won't come up on the screen here. Jesus lands. They're all saying, who is this? And immediately he goes to the temple. And he, that's where he throws out the money changers and all the idolatry that's going out on in the temple. And it says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. And then we get down to verse 14. I think we've got that, 2114. It says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. All right? So I know, no, uh, maybe it been, hadn't been as linear today. We talked context. Remember the, the blind guy that got healed? They cried out to God. We talked the content, literally walking through the passage. Now I want to end right here. Jesus goes into the temple. He goes from the streets to the temple. He cleans out the idols. And then it says the lame and the blind came to him. What started in the streets came to the house. What starts in the streets will come to the house of God and he will clear out his house to make it a threshing floor for his glory so that the lame and the sick can come again and be healed. That's what's happening here even this morning. God is giving us his word, hopefully clearing out some clutter in our minds and our hearts so the lame and the sick could be healed. I want everybody to stand together. Our prayer teams will come to the front. I don't know where you are this morning, this Passover Sunday. We talked about if you need Jesus, we want to take you to him. I want to pray with you in just a minute. As our prayer teams come to the front, if you're in need this morning, one of the ways you can cry out to Jesus is really come to a friend and say, pray for me. I need to be healed. I need my marriage to be healed. I need my heart to be healed. Um, literally, I am blind. My sight, I need physical sight. Um, we saw a blind eye healed uh, just in January. It was with the Zone Pastors in Mexico. God is healing blind eyes even today. Why not Waco, Texas, if he's doing it in Oaxaca, Mexico? Um, can we get some more prayer teams up here? I don't think we got enough folks up here. But what you don't want to do is do nothing. Is this our response time? And I lead us in a few prayers here. You don't want to do nothing. You want to either call out to God. And if you don't feel comfortable or led to come up to the front, you just want to grab the, your spouse's hand and say, Lord, come rule and reign in our marriage again. Or pray for a kiddo right now. Or if you're with a roommate or a friend, just kind of maybe lean into each other again and say, God, would you come rule in our apartment? Would you come rule in our lives, God? We pray for a friend who might be lost or far from God. But whatever you do, we've got a few minutes here. Actually, we have, we have a little more time this morning. You want to come and respond. We have prayer people up on the landing up there as well. So just close your eyes with me and begin to pray. And, of course, if you're coming down for prayer, open your eyes as you walk down the aisle so we can pray for you. Yeah. But, Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes this morning? Open our eyes to see this morning. Open the eyes of our heart, God. Let us see this morning. By the Holy Spirit, let us see where we need you to rule and reign right now. 
in our marriage, in our home, our business, our heart. God, I pray, let us see, we pray. Lord, I ask for supernatural physical healing as well as emotional, mental, and spiritual sight this morning. So you're just there with your eyes closed. You're letting God speak to you. Again, I want to encourage you, if you're watching online, gather your family around on a couch, on the couch. Just pull everybody in close and just begin to pray for one another, person on your right or left. If you're in the sound of my voice or watching online and you need Jesus, I want to take you to him right now, just as I did that man on the airplane. Would you just call out to Jesus, Lord Jesus, just tell him you need him. I need you. I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Just pray it with me. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you made a way to the Father just for me. And so I come. I am yours, Lord. I come. I am yours. I give my heart to you. I give my life to you. I am yours, God. I am yours. I give myself to you. Now, Lord, every man, woman, and child who's calling on your name, I proclaim them free from the power of sin and death because they have chosen you. And you said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's worship together. Let God seal his work in our hearts. Again, come forward, pray for one another. And if you just need to consecrate your heart again, worship him and let him be Lord.